Praise. Oh, give him another hand clap. It's okay. My goodness. Woo. Uh, I wished I had that talent to be able to sing like that. Such beautiful harmony. I'll just crow like a crow. Amen. But I'm still important to the house of God because he says make a joyful noise. That's all I can do. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. I'm going to preach a very elementary message tonight, something the Lord's laid upon my heart. And uh, we'll give you a few moments to get there. Maybe you can see it on the board. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7 starts out, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou art upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou should vow a vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. Brother Richardson, would you pray the Lord's blessing on the word, please? Amen. Now, I know tonight is baptism night, and usually I preach on water baptism, or one of us guys do every time that we have a baptism. But tonight, I just felt compelled to the Lord. Not only is he wanting to speak to this congregation, but I believe he's also wanting to give a message to those that are, are, are uh, making their vows to the Lord, those that have been born again, the new converts, and those that are renewing their vows to the Lord in water baptism tonight. I'm going to try to make this short so that we will not get into our baptism ceremony because it's vitally important. How many love water baptism? It's vitally, vitally important. I tell you, it just does something to me every time we do them. But tonight we're going to be, we're going to witness some believers who have come to confess and believe Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. Others are going to be doing it because they want to renew that confession and they want to renew that testimony before you here tonight. And they believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father except through him. They believe that there's no name given under heaven among men whereby men can be saved other than through the precious name of Jesus Christ. They have put their full confidence in him in to be their Lord and to believe that to, to believe that he is their savior. How many of you believe Jesus Christ to be your savior here tonight? Would you just raise your hand? Amen. You know, the salvation, uh, the salvation plan is so simple, isn't it? It is easy as ABC. We talk about that in some of my sermons before. Just admit, believe, and confess. The golden text of the Bible is so simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son of the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That is literally the ultimate gift of God. God given his son for the sins of the world. And then Romans 10, 9 and 
9.10, the Apostle Paul summed it up by saying that if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God is raising from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Isn't that so simple? That if I believe in Jesus Christ and confess my sin and repent of my sin and believe that God's raised him from the dead, I can confess him and I can be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that simple? You don't have to have a bunch of money. You don't have to see certain people. You don't have to go through some kind of a ritual. You don't have to get a man. A man is not involved in it whatsoever. You can accept Jesus Christ anywhere at any time and you can confess him as Lord and you can be saved. However, the warning that I want to give us here tonight, if we're not careful, the older that we get, the more that we forget the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, the simplicity of our faith will actually be what trips us up. If we don't pay attention, if we don't stay alert, if we don't stay sober, the older we get in the faith, the more that we will look to methods and styles and procedures and principles and will fall into traditions and structures as a means of our faith and our confidence. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean is there's too many that are trying to serve God and receive from the Lord blessings and to receive from the Lord different kinds of things through different methods instead of faith in Jesus' atonement upon the cross. Many start out well, but they don't finish well because they get tripped up along the way and lose sight of the simplicity of salvation and the simplicity of our faith. Solomon warned something, warned us of something in verse 1 and 2 of our text. Look at it. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth and let thy, thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon the earth therefore let thy words be few. Now what's he talking about? The first thing that Solomon says to us is don't offer the sacrifice of fools. He says don't be rash with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to start uttering things before God. Before you speak, think what you're saying. Before you make statements, make sure that you're mind registers of the importance of the words that you are letting out. Because I want to tell you, you got to weigh out your words because by your words, you'll either be justified as we said this morning, or we're going to be condemned. And why is it that when we were lost and undone and we were broken and in shame and without God, that we understood that we didn't have anything to offer him and there was nothing that you and I could possibly do that would appease him, that would attract him to us. We understood that we needed him and that we put our trust solely in him and him alone for our salvation. Isn't that how it was? How many remembers when you were broken out in sin and you come to him? You didn't have anything to offer him. Your life was a wreck. Your life had all kinds of blemishes and tarnishes and wrinkles and all kinds of different kinds of sins held you down. And when you approached Christ in that way, you knew that there was nothing that you could do to appease him or there was nothing that you could do to earn your salvation. You put faith in him and him alone. But then the more religious that we get and the more that we serve him it seems like that if we're not careful I see this in the body of Christ that we'll take on a different mentality it's almost like that we begin to think that we have to offer up all kinds of sacrifices of ourselves in order to please God and to get God's favor or to get revival in order to get revival we got to do this 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 and we got to do this 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 and we start putting all of this stuff upon us all these expectations in order to try to get this God that we've been born again in the kingdom with to get him to move on our behalf. It's like that we begin to think that we have to mingle good works in with our faith in 
in order to be accepted of God. But I want you to hear me tonight. This is just simple stuff, and I don't know why the Lord wanted me to speak it, but he did. There is only one sacrifice that God accepts. There's only one sacrifice that God is interested in. It has already been lifted up, and that sacrifice is his son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. Can I have an amen to that? Can I have an amen in the house of God tonight? We cannot find favor with God through our own sacrifices, but we can only find favor with God through the supreme sacrifice of all. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten Son of God. If our sacrifice finds favor with God alone, then there would have never been a need for Jesus to come and to die on the cross. And if we have to add our sacrifices to the sacrifice of a son in order to get God to do something on our behalf, then Jesus would not have been the all-sufficient supreme sacrifice. The only sacrifice that God requires from me and you as his people is just the sacrifice of simple obedience. And there is a sacrifice in obedience. It is called taking up your cross and following him daily. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 38 when he said, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, let him follow me. Now, that, there, there, there is a sacrifice in that at times. But tonight, these people that are getting baptized, they are following Jesus Christ in obedience because they're obeying the scripture. The word of God commands us to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They're actually following through in their faith. They're actually being obedient to the Great Commission. Would you give them a great big hand tonight? They're following through in their faith. They're being obedient. Hallelujah. And so it is, every one of us has been born again. Those of us who are Christians, we've been through that same process. Then why is it the longer that we serve him, the more harder we try to make this life of salvation to be? This life of salvation does not have to be hard and difficult. Why do we leave the simplicity of faith and we difficult, muddy up the water, so to speak, and we make this thing of faith more harder than it really, really is? There is many that are trying to live in a right-standing relationship with God through their own sacrifices, and yet they have never learned how to just simply follow him in simple obedience. I've seen people constantly trying to appease God and find favor with God. They're begging God. They're trying to be blessed of God and try to receive from God through all of these promises and through all these sacrifices and saying, God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. But they have never learned how to just obey God on an everyday basis with through everyday scriptural principles such as living a life with prayer, study, praise, commitment, and faithfulness that he commands us to do. It's like a Saul. When Saul was told of God to go kill the Amalekites, he was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites, both male and female, young and old, adult and infant. He was told to kill all the oxen, the sheep, the cattle, and every animal life. And on his return, Samuel is in the house, and he hears oxen, and he hears the people outside, and he walks out, and he says, Saul, what means this? He said, well, I've obeyed the Lord. He said, how have you obeyed the Lord? And Saul replies, oh, if you're talking about these people here, I'm paraphrasing, but if you're talking about these people, if you're talking about these cattle, if you're talking about these sheep, he said, I know God told me to utterly destroy them. I know that I wasn't to do anything but totally wipe them off the face of the earth. But nevertheless, I brought them back that I might sacrifice them to the Lord. And Samuel replies with a rebuke, and this is what he says. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obeying the voice of the Lord? And then he said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken to the fat of rams. In other words, he's saying that to, obedience is better than your sacrifice. 
Can I have an amen? What Saul done was evil. He put his sacrifice above the obedience to the Lord. Amen? And when we put our sacrifices in the place of trying to earn or buy or convince God to bless us, it is of the flesh, it is evil, because we have taken what Jesus done on the cross and we have deviated and we have devalued and we've diluted that sacrifice and we have placed our sacrifice above it. Therefore, we have put our confidence and our faith in something above and beyond the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you know what it's called in Scripture? It's called idolatry. And a lot of times churches do this and they don't even realize they're caught up in it. We have said that the blood of Christ by doing this, by saying, you know, we're going to do this, 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 work this, do that, offer this, give this in order to be able to find God's favor, then what we have done is that we have deviated from the sacrifice of the atonement of Jesus and saying the atonement was not good enough. It has to have our works involved. And in order to do that, then we have said the blood of Christ is not sufficient. It's not adequate to atone and it's not adequate to give me the provisions that's needed for my life. But I'm here to tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ has not only purchased your salvation, he's purchased your healing, he's purchased your deliverance, he's purchased your life, he's pur- he has purchased everything that you need him to. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient and it's sufficient by itself. Amen. Give the Lord praise. It's okay. It's simple. And what I don't understand is, why do we make stuff so hard? Oh, I just feel like preaching. Is that all right? I'm beginning to feel that coming up and down my spine like I did this morning. Woo! Hallelujah. But it it, it was a lot harder for Saul to have dealt with all those people trying to keep them in prison, trying to watch out for them and trying to make sure none of them escape, trying to take care of the animals, trying to keep everything in line, trying to bring all of that stuff back when he could have just simply obeyed and wiped them out and he would have had absolutely none of that hardship. Come on. Why is it that we want to skip simple obedience and obeying God's command and pray and just be faithful and just trust God and just stop and study and praise him. It's almost like, you know, when, when the, the, the great king went down to the, the prophet Elisha to go to get cleansed of his leprosy. And, and the prophet come out and told him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. He got Naaman got mad because it was so simple. Well, I would have thought he would have come out and told me to do some great and mighty thing. But it was was just simple obedience. Just go do this and you'll be delivered. Can I tell the church today, your deliverance does not lie in what you have in yourself to muster something up, to give to God in sacrifice. I'm here to tell you that Christ has already atoned for what you need. Accept it by faith and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord one more praise. It's all right. We're so guilty to add things to our to-do list in order to appease him, and it becomes not only fleshly and sinful, but the Bible calls it evil. Not only that, it produces weariness, and it causes unnecessary hardship. It places us in bondage. Before long, we think we got to meet all these great big expectations, 
in order for God to be able to do what he said and promised he would do through our lives by us accepting Jesus Christ. God is not interested in our sacrifice, but he's interested in how we respond to the sacrifice he's already offered us. God doesn't require a bunch of vows, promises, and sacrifices out of us to please him. Only the sacrifice of obedience can please the Lord. Only the sacrifice of us just obeying him. We have almost become like bell worshipers. You know how they tried to get the idol God bell to move? They went out and started cutting themselves. and They started afflicting themselves. And Elijah set up and mocked them and laughed at them. Is your God asleep? <laughs> Is he going on a trip? Come on. And it's because they were trying to get God to move through their own sacrifices. And really, we laugh at that, but the church is just as guilty of doing the very same thing in the 21st century. We begin to make vows, promises, pledges that's very unnecessary, and they don't move the hand of God. And we will say things like, God, I promise if you'll do this, I promise I'll start paying my tithes. I promise I'll start coming to church better. I promise, God, I'll do this, I'll do that. And you know what we're doing? We're making useless vows before the Lord that he's gonna make us keep when we never needed to make them in the first place. Amen? We start making foolish vows and promises to God that God never has required of us in order to get the end result that we're actually looking for. The thing that you're looking for is not in your ability and through your good works and through what you have in order to obtain it. What you're looking for, Jesus has it and by faith you receive it because he's your elder brother and he desires to give it to you. He died that he might purchase it for you. Amen. Oh, my. Solomon said in verse 1, keep your foot, or your standing, he's talking about, your faith, when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifices fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Have you heard this? God, I promise, if you heal my daughter, I promise, and then there's a blank. Just fill in the blank. How many of us have made promises like that? Be honest. See, hands going up all over the place. God said these kinds of vows are not only foolish, but you do evil when you make them. God simply wants you to keep your foot, your faith intact, your standing, and when you come to the house of God, just listen. And if there's something that God wants you to know, he'll speak to you, but not if not, don't start making a bunch of vows trying to get God to move on your behalf. The greatest vow that you ever took in your life was the vow that you took when you got saved to make Jesus Christ Lord. You see, God blesses you on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice and how you believe in that sacrifice and how you respond to it. He's not pleased with our self-initiative sacrifices. It isn't what, uh, it isn't what we offer that counts. What really counts is what Jesus has already offered, and he's offered his life on the cross. God already wants to heal your daughter, whether you make any sacrifice or not, because healing's in the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's already provided. And, without, and God wants your daughter to be healed without you making unnecessary vows. Amen? Look at verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth. Let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou art upon the earth. Therefore let thy words be few. It is here that God reminds you of your incapabilities. And he reminds you of your human limited ability. And he reminds you that you're on earth. And it's he that's the one that's in heaven. He is the one that sits upon the throne. He's the one that makes all things happen. He's God. 
And there is nothing that we have, there's nothing that we can do that can earn the right to get him to move. And there's nothing that we have that impresses him. And there's nothing that we don't have that depresses him. Can I have an amen? He is all in all, with or without us. He's God. This is why that Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time that thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thy oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, neither by earth, for it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it's the city of our great king. Don't swear or take an oath by your head, because thou canst not make one head hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, whatsoever of more of this cometh evil. He says, don't be making a bunch of promises that you can't do anything about because it's God in heaven that sits upon the throne that makes things happen. You can't make it happen. You can't turn one head, hair white or black. So when you begin to make speech to the Lord, just say, yay, yay, nay, nay. Anything more than that becomes of evil, he said. We cannot afford to lose the simplicity of our faith. But we must come to Christ in our crisis with childlike faith and say, here, Daddy God, Abba Father, fix it. Amen? Instead of coming down here and walking around and begging and pleading and I promise and I promise and all that, you know what that is? It's nothing but guilt and false condemnation that leads us to make a bunch of vows trying to get God to be persuaded to come and be on our side. God's already on your side. You can't earn anything like that. You earn favor with God through Jesus. Amen? I'm reminded of uh, Charles Kahn. He was talking about, he was at a wedding and his little daughter got a helium balloon and she's coming down the aisle with a balloon and it goes up and it hits a light bulb, a boom, and it comes floating down and the string and the rubber was laying on the ground and she picked it up. She just went up to her dad and said, here dad, fix it. Such childlike faith, like, you know, that was an impossibility. And when our impossibilities come, you know what we do? We fall apart. We come to dad and plead. We beg. We plead. We, we make vows. We make pledges. We do everything in the world to try to get God to do this supernatural thing as if we have to do something to try to earn it. When really, we just need to come up and say, here, daddy, fix it. Here, dad, it's yours. Come on. Is that all right? We have to keep believing in what Acts 17, verse 38 says. How many believes this scripture? For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. And we are his offspring. In other words, we are his offspring. We're his children. We're heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Our blessings come from him and him alone. And can I tell you, it comes through him, by him, and him alone. And it comes as a result of our kinship because we've been born again and we've been grafted in and we're a part of the family of God. Can I have an amen? It was Jesus that reminded us in John 15 and 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears forth fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Our fruit bearing consists of us being in him. It's relational. And without him, you and I can absolutely do nothing. Paul said, and he reminded us in 1 Corinthians 13 and 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I offer my body to be burned, he lists all of these different things. And if I have not charity, it profits me absolutely nothing. Paul revealed that it was very possible for us to make hard sacrificial offerings to God, and yet they absolutely don't profit anything. 
He said, I can offer my body to be burned. I can give all my goods to the poor. I can do all these good works. And yet if it's not done with a, in the right attitude and in the right way, they absolutely do not profit anything. It's not what we have or what we give that impresses or motivates God to move on our behalf. It's just us being obedient to what he has already said and believing in what he's already given. And he's given his son. We have to accept and appropriate that which he's already provided to us through his son's sacrifice. Jesus Christ must not die in vain in the church. We have to believe in the simplicity of the gospel and every good gift and every perfect gift coming from above and it cometh down from the Father of lights where there's neither verbalness nor shadow of turning that God wants to withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. God wants to give all things to them that I, I'm here to tell you I can quote scripture after scripture after scripture and none of those things is going to be given to you because of your merit. It's going to be given to you because of the merit of Jesus Christ and he is your savior and as a result of that you're blood bought, you're washed, you're a child of God and heir of everything Jesus has. Therefore whatever Jesus our elder brother has, we can have also. Amen. Give the Lord praise. Let me ask you a question. If you're wanting something from your earthly father and you went to visit him and you have this thing you're really wanting of him, would you go down and split the wood? Paint the house, mow the yard, take out the trash. Before you ever went to visiting, trying to earn some kind of a merit, trying to earn some kind of a right, trying to earn some kind of a, you know, a, a, uh, uh, you're trying to earn it in order to be able to come into your, uh, the presence of your father? Absolutely no. You know what my boys do? They just show up and they don't even ask. All of a sudden I walk out my trailer's gone. Hello? My truck disappeared for three months. Somebody know what I'm talking about? There's only one difference about my house and your house. Everything my sons come and get, it never comes back home. I got to go back after it. Have you ever heard of that? Some of you fathers are laughing. You know why we have that right and Benjamin has that right? He comes, gets what he wants. John comes, gets what he wants. Sam comes, gets what he wants. You know why? Because I'm their father. They're my son. They love me, and they know that I love them. They don't come and say, well, you know what? If I mow the yard, if I'll, be, if I'll feed the dog, if I'll do this for them and that for them, maybe, maybe I'll go in and maybe God, Dad will let me have something. No. Why do I give to them? Because I love them. They're much. Why can't we have that simplicity of faith, that simple faith, the same way in the spiritual? I do not have to come up here and waller in the floor and beg and plead and whine and cry. It, you know all that, you know what all that is? It's nothing but expressions of doubt. It's unbelief. Don't have time to get into that. But you'll never receive on the basis of that kind of approach to the throne of God. Your father loves you. He wants to give good things to you. Jesus has opened the avenues of approach to the throne of God through his own blood. You know, that's why Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ you who sometimes were far off, you're made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the bridge. He, he, he's the one that bridged our fellowship back with God. He's recon we are reconciled back to God and we have the remission of sins through Jesus Christ. That's why the Hebrews 4, 16, I love it. 
Let us therefore come boldly, say boldly, unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. We can come confidently before the Lord. We can come knowing that when we pray to God that we'll have the petitions that we desire of him. When we ask, we know that we'll receive. When we seek, we know that we're going to find. When we knock, we know it's going to be open to us because he's promised that. That's why that Jesus said that in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, when he said, ask and you shall receive, seek, you shall find, knock and it shall be open. And everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth him to knock and it shall be open. Then he says, well, what manner of man of you who has a son, if he should ask of you a bread, for the bread, you're going to give him a stone. If he ask a fish, for the fish, you're going to give him a serpent. If he asks for an egg, you're going to give him a scorpion. Then he says, but if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask? Just ask him. Amen? Don't promise him a bunch of stuff. Just ask him. Quit trying to live in a right standing relationship with God through your sacrifice and accept the sacrifice he's already provided. When, you're, when you fail, when you miss the mark, when you slip, when you slumber, when you slide, when you don't meet everybody's expectations, even your own, when you even disappoint yourself, get back up, repent, approach God in childlike faith and believe him for your life, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And whosoever will come to him, he will in no wise cast out. Isn't that just simple stuff? Proverbs said that the just man will fall seven times, but he'll get back up, wipe himself off. Romans 8 and 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So you don't have to make a bunch of vows, promises, and pledges, and offer yourself in sacrifice in order to get back in a right standing with God when you failed. The same sacrifice that saved you, the same sacrifice can forgive you. Amen? You can't earn it. You can't get to the place where you deserve it. You can't purchase it. You can't buy it. You can't do enough in order to obtain it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let me remind you. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. You're saved simply through grace, by faith. Amen? Then why do we try to do all this other stuff in order to get God to move on our behalf? I've heard people, I had to fast 40 days. Fasting is not to change the heart and the mind of God towards the event that he wants to do. It's changing you to where you can believe. But you're not earning nothing through your fasting. You're changing yourself to where you can believe. Amen? If God's only going to do certain things with 40-day fast, then there's going to be a lot of things not done in the church world. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at us. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Hello? That ain't spiritual. That's just oversight. You can look over and see. Amen? Praise the Lord. I better quit. The only sacrifice God's requiring is you just sacrifice obedience. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what's that good and perfect will of God. And I love one other sacrifice that he mentions in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. That is to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name, but to do good and communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now, what's he saying there? 
This tells me that I am never to quit communicating with God. No matter what's going on, no matter what state of mind that I'm in, no matter if I'm on top of my faith or not, it doesn't matter if I'm in the pit, the prison, or the palace. You know what I am to do? I am to praise him. I don't praise him only in the good times. I praise him in the bad times. Come on. I praise him in the hardships. And it's, it's a lot easier to obey that kind of command than it is to obey or, or do what Saul done. Try to offer up some kind of a sacrifice of the flesh that would result into bondage and failure, work and hardship. I want to tell you something. What Saul done was a lot harder than obedience. And all God's asking you to do in your hardship, just praise me. Communicate to me. By us offering up the sacrifice of praise, it's making an open declaration of faith that our trust is not in our own arm of flesh or in our own human ability, but it is revealing that we believe that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith and because things is not turned on our behalf as yet, it will and we're praising him in advance for it. We're saying, hey, hallelujah. Well, things are bad, brother. Don't matter, I'm praising because I know things are about to turn. I'm trusting in him. He said he'd never leave me, nor did he forsake me. He said he'd be with me to the end of the world. He said he'd take care of me. He said there's no temptation taking you, but just as common to man. He will not allow me to be more, suffer more than I'm tempted, and with the way, he'll make a way of escape. Come on. You believe in those provisions? He said I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who died and gave me. So I don't have to worry about nothing. So in my dilemmas, I don't have to sit around and cry and beg and plead and say what's wrong and offer all kinds of sacrifice. I just trust and I pray to him. I, I study. I try to listen to him. And you know, I just praise him in the storm. And because I know one thing, if I praise him in the storm with such sacrifice, God is well pleased because he's understanding. I'm not putting trust in myself, but I'm putting trust in the provision of Jesus Christ over my life and I am expressing it by faith in advance before it is ever manifested can I have an amen why don't you just praise him right now in your storm amen when you're praising him in your storm you're saying what the apostle Paul said that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. You're saying what David said. David said, I believe and am confident that he will perfect that which concerns me. We're doing what the, uh, the writer of Hebrews said. We, we believe that Jesus started it and Jesus will make sure that he finishes it because he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. We'll do what Philippians 1 and 6 said. Being confident of this very thing, he which begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He'll perform it. He'll finish it. Anything we put our trust in other than through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, I want to tell you something, folks. It's idolatry. It's sin. It brings forth evil. And nothing good comes of it. I made a few vows when I was younger, and the Lord showed me this passage of Scripture, and it's caused me to have to keep some vows in my life. I prayed, God, if you'll let Jenny marry me when I ask her, I'll praise you every night on my knees for her. And this old man every night has to get down. <laughs> every night. And there's been a few times in my life when I flopped in bed and hit me, you didn't praise me for Jenny. I made that vow over 30, so many years ago. Every night of my life, because of a vow that I made, 
While I have human strength and have the ability, God knew that was in part of the vow, as long as I can, as long as I have strength, I am going to get on my knees and lift both hands, not one, both hands and praise him for my wife. I do that every night of my life because of vow. Did I have to make that vow in order for Jenny to marry me? No, I didn't. Is it hard to do that? Well, sometimes, to be honest with you, when you're tired and you've been at the hospitals and you're coming at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're going to, and you're tired and, you're going, and you get laid down and, oh, I forgot to praise Jenny, of the Lord for Jenny. Well, I, I, I think God understands. I made a vow. I got mad at a television evangelist one time. His name, let me, th- what was his name? Robert Tilton. He's making all this stupid stuff. Man, that's just harming the body of Christ. I was mad. As, I was mad. I had a righteous indignation about it. I was watching. I thought, man, he's doing the body of Christ so much harm and stuff he's doing. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call him and say, yeah, I'm going to send you $2 million. I was young. I was in my 20s. And the Lord spoke to me and says, if you do, you'll have to fulfill the pledge in which you say. So instead, I called and asked him if he'd send me $2 million. (laughs) No, I didn't do that. I'm kidding. Let me close with this. I'm going to have to hurry. There's a lot more to this, but we're we're going to move on. I'm enjoying just simple stuff, just ABC, that we forget. We just forget it. And I want these young converts to never understand and lose sight of the simplicity of their faith and their love that the Father has for them. And that the love that God has for him. There was a man by the name of Japheth in the book of Judges, chapter 11, verse 30 through 40. Japheth was going up. He was facing the children of Ammon. Japheth goes out to battle, and on the way to the battle, he stops and he prays. And he says, God, Father, if you will just allow me to win this battle, the first thing I see when I get home I will offer it as a burnt offering and sacrifice to you. And Japheth goes to battle and he wins the battle. But let me say this. Japheth did not have to make any silly vow because he had already had the favor of God and he was going to win that battle with or without that vow. He already had the favor of God. That vow did not change anything whatsoever. And can I remind you here tonight, you do not have to make a bunch of silly vows and place yourself under any kind of a weighty sacrifice in order to get God's attentions and favor to do something on your behalf. You already have his favor. You already have his attention. You're his son, and Jesus Christ has purchased that gift for you, that provision for you on the cross. Amen? And listen to the grief, the horror story. Japheth comes home and he's all excited because they won the battle and the first thing that he sees, he's got to offer as a sacrifice. He sees his only child, his daughter coming running out of the house to meet him. 
Now, here's where it gets bad. Listen to the whore that Japheth said in Judges 11.35. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and he said, Alice, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low today. Thou art one of them that troubleth me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord and I cannot go back. Japheth understood that after he made his vow, he couldn't break it. He said, I've opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. You have troubled me this day, daughter, by you being the first thing that I've seen. Our text says in verses 4 through 6 of Ecclesiastes 5, when thou vowest to vow unto God and defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, that thou vowest to vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that the vow was an error. Wherefore, should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? Japheth's daughter said to him, Dad, do unto me according to what you have vowed to the Lord. But she said, just give me this one petition. Leave me alone for two months. Let me go up and down in the mountains and let me be well and mourn my virginity. Let me cry because I never had children. Let me cry because I never had a family. Let me cry because I've never had a husband. She'd done that for two months and she comes back down. Then the whore comes in in verse 39. And it came to pass at the end of the two months that she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man and it was a custom in all of Israel. And all of Israel mourns to even to this day and all that kind of a thing. But now there's two trains of thought right here, and I'm going to close with this, is that most commentaries, I should say it's probably 75% to 25% of what I have read. Not, some of you others may have read different kinds of material. 25% says that when she came back, and it says that he done unto her the vow that he had promised, that he literally went out and burned her as, an offer, uh, 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 as a, a sacrifice, sacrificial offering. Most commentators says, no, God does not accept human sacrifice like that. And that he, uh, he made provision through grace, through mercy, and that she would have to remain alone the rest of her life and would not be able to have any family and remain a virgin committed to him. Now, I don't know which way it is. I would say, by the way that it sounds, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but you've studied that probably, is that probably she remained a virgin and lived the rest of her life. But there is a possibility, because it doesn't make it real clear, Brother Lemons, I don't know if you got an opinion on it, that it may have been possible that he offered as a burnt offering, as a vow to the Lord. Now, God wasn't pleased with that. God didn't want that. But I think that she remained as a virgin. That's what I believe. But nevertheless, that silly vow that he vowed that didn't make anything good come of himself. It brought evil. Because why? He didn't trust in the simplicity of his relationship with God alone. He kept trying to add things and attach things to it. The human element, the human effort. Come on. How many times in your storm, when you're afraid, when you're afraid, we want, there's just, well, there's just no way God kept it. And all of a sudden, we try to help God out. And Abraham went to a concubine to try to make the seed of promise come and brought a seed of flesh. 
An Ishmael was born, and there's still trouble in the Middle East to this day over that because he couldn't believe in the promise that God says, you're going to have a son in your old age, and, and his name's going to be Isaac, and he's going to be named Laughter. And we birth all these things in the flesh because we can't believe in the simplicity that God loves us and wants to give to us on the basis of the sacrifice of his son. Solomon, he has all kinds of problems in his life. He writes the book of Ecclesiastics. God sent me on a journey one time and he said, I want you to preach out of the book of Ecclesiastics and I started reading. I read chapter one, chapter two, chapter three and I got almost to the end. I thought, man, I ain't seen nothing. I went back and started. I'd done that three or four times. I said, God, I just don't see what you're trying to, I just, nothing's resonating with me. He said, you never finished the last chapter. So I started reading the last chapter and nothing was coming. I was sitting there and it was just, just nothing. And I got to the, next to the last verse. Hear the conclusion to the whole matter. Just fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. See it. You want to be a Christian? Hear the conclusion to the whole matter. Just fear God and keep his commandments. That's all the duty you have. Obey him. Isn't that simple? Hallelujah. Would you stand tonight? I just want to pray over you. Father, in every one of our storms, in every one of our trials, in every one of our situations of life, I pray that you'll never let us forget that everything that we need, everything that we have need of in our lives has been provided through the atonement of Jesus Christ. That through your Son, we have access to life and life more abundantly. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. All blessings come through him and by him and without him there is nothing, Father, that we can do within ourselves. Everything that we have, everything that we need to achieve and everything that we need to apprehend can only come through that provision and through that sacrifice. Help us to remember that. Before we make any silly vows, before we make any silly promises or pledges, help us not to be hasty and rash in our time of fear. And when we're scared, let us not be hasty. Let us weigh out what we say and let us put faith in Christ and Christ alone. I don't want to know anything among you, Paul said, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Thank you, Father, for your free gift. Thank you for the salvation plan of Jesus Christ. Thank you that it's simple. Thank you that I don't have to earn it or buy it because I don't have the ability. I don't, I don't have the resources. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have, I don't have the education. I don't have the things that's needful in order to try to be able to achieve some of the things that needs to be achieved in my life. I have to trust solely upon you and you alone. So therefore, in the midst of all of my storms, I will praise you. And I will magnify you, trusting that you'll see me through. You begin a good work in me, and you'll perform it. And I trust that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may sit down. Give the Lord praise before you do.